Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming channel covering all of the daily news and happenings throughout our business community and our markets during the trading day. I'm David Kosh. Welcome to the call. Uh, 10 stocks, two experts, 60 minutes to get through them all. And we're on air every afternoon from 12 p.m. It's great to have your company. And thank you for sending in the suggestions for uh, today's list of stocks. Our two experts today, delighted to have Howard Coleman from Team Invest joining us. Howard, good to see you again. Good to be with you, David. Uh, And Henry Jennings from Marcus today as well, joining us in the studio. First time into the studio, I think, Henry, as well. It is. It's very exciting as well, David. Very exciting. Yeah, a bit quiet in the city at the moment, though, isn't it? It's just (laughs) a little bit, it's a bit strange. The first time I've been in the city and it's very strange. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It is very quiet indeed. Uh, So let's hope we can give you some great direction on these 10 stocks today. And um, a really good, diverse list of stocks today from some of the big heavyweights down to a a couple of companies that I haven't really heard of before on the market, which is what I love about the call. We get to uncover hopefully little gems or uh, little disasters that uh, none of us have heard of in the past. And let's get straight into it. And a company, I must admit, on the list of uh, groups that I really hadn't followed before. Uh, first up, Henry, Live Tiles, a software company. This is unique when you <laughs> tend to look into it. Headquartered in New York, offices around the country, uh, a venture with Microsoft um, just announced, I think last month, a big increase in revenue. Yep. Um, Live Tiles, though. Uh, life to, I've got to say, David, I've been following this one for a little while, ah. and it's been in my small cap portfolio, and they keep announcing really good announcements, really good uh, annual recurring revenue, and great announcements, and the stock just keeps going down. It, it's quite strange. Um, I still like this one. They did a good update the other day, yep. and they talked about um, the ARR reaching around 55.2 million. Uh, which is good, that annual recurring revenue number. Yep. And also, more importantly, I guess, for the market at the moment when we're talking about survival mode, is that they don't need to raise any fresh capital. They yeah. also did a deal the other day uh, with uh, another ASX-listed kind of software company as well with a partnership there, Linus, which um, I think people got a bit confused that it was Linus yep, yep. Um, <laughs> as opposed to Linus. There was a small I in there that they missed out on. But, yeah, no, it's just been, it's been one of those stocks that really I think is a bit misunderstood and maybe because it's domiciled a little bit uh, towards America yeah. uh, and that side of things with that deal with Microsoft and having their headquarters in America, I think that's kind of puts a few people off. Are they well run? What's the they seem to be. They, they seem right. to be quite well run. Right. Um, they seem to do all the right things, tick all the right boxes. It's just they, they fail to get much traction. Every now and then they, they pop up and they have a little bit of a run, but yeah. uh, they just kind of fail to really fire that enthusiasm. Yeah. And the, uh, for a company's like this, that recurring revenue... 
That's that's critical. Is the critical bit too. Yep. So that announcement, which looks as though it's gone reasonably ignored, yep. yeah, well, it, um, yeah. Uh, is is a really good tick for them as well. Going yeah, forward. I mean they, they had a far more positive reaction to the announcement about the Linus software deal, right. uh, which unfortunately was Linus. Right. Um, but they had a good pop on that. But they've had no real. It's steady the ship, I guess. But at the moment, okay. they're, they're one of those speculative risk plays in the software sector that people do tend to shy away from, I guess, at the moment. So would you see it as a, a buy at 20 cents? Uh, I think so, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Howard, do you follow it at, at all? Um, I have looked at it a couple of times because it's been on TV when I was on TV previously. Um, but looking at the company, um, I can't really get very enthusiastic about it other than it's got fabulous PR. Um, this is a remarkably good story. The announcements are wonderful, and every time I read one of the announcements, I get enthused until I look at the numbers. Um, let me give you a couple of examples. Um, from 2017 to 2018, or in fact, go back further, from 16 to 17, they doubled their sales. From 17 to 18, they slightly more than doubled their sales. And from 18 to 19, they more than doubled their sales. That sounds wonderful, except in the same period, they more than doubled their loss per share. So their losses per share doubled or more than doubled as fast as their sales doubled, which basically means it's a bit like the example I've given before and regularly used. It would be like me standing on the corner of uh, George and Bridge Streets and selling Ferraris or Porsches brand new out the box for $10,000 a time. Now, I'm sure my sales would go up as people realized what an incredible bargain it was, but it wouldn't turn me into a profitable business. And uh, if you look at their capital raisings, they've, their return on equity has been more than minus 100% every year for the past four years, which means they've had to do massive capital raisings every year. So great story, not a business. And... Um, you know, uh, it may turn into a business, and at that stage it may be worth looking at, but our Team Invest members would uh, look at the numbers over the past four years, be absolutely horrified, and would pass. Yeah. And, Henry, I suppose with companies like this, Howard makes a good point that you've got to bring in your cost of goods sold, don't yep. you, with that revenue. And by the sound of it, they from what Howard's saying, they haven't reached that critical mass no. where... You know, uh, the sales aren't covering their costs no. of actually running the business. How far off? Well, I kind of thought that, that it was it was round the corner, but as Howard said, I mean, it may it may take a little while for that to come through. The right. selling the Porsches and the Ferraris on the corner uh, may take a little bit of a while to come through, and it's taking longer than I would have liked. I must admit, and, and given the share price slide, uh, that has obviously been something that yeah. the market has been concerned about, especially when you go into these kind of. Uh, sort of uh, markets where we're seeing this volatility. So yep. um, I'm still going to stick with it, okay. but um, I can see the problems. And as, as Howard rightly points out, they've been quite good at PR, but the, the market really, in fact, they've probably not been very good at PR because they haven't been able to pump the share price up on the back of any of these announcements, yep. uh, despite the fact that some of them have been quite good. Yeah, okay. So, anyway. But as you said, it's a punt. It's this is one of those highly speculative high punts, I yep. guess, uh, certainly. Okay. All right, let's take a look at uh, the second stock, Collection House. 
uh, debt collector, management, has had a few management issues, bit of a problem debt book. Um, Howard, was it you that was on a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, Credit Corp and you're a, you're a fan of Credit Corp? Is this sort of in uh, that same sector? It is in the same sector. And uh, once again, it's a, a beautiful illustration of because companies do the same things, doesn't mean they get the same outcomes. Uh, it's a little bit like I used to joke as a young man. Um, I played cricket at the same time that Graham Pollock played cricket in South Africa. Now, I had the same kind of cricket bat as Graham Pollock, and I used the same pads, gloves, etc., as Graham Pollock. But when we went out onto the cricket field, uh, Graham Pollock was one of the great superstars of all time uh, in South Africa and probably in world standards. Uh, at that stage, the second best test average below Bradman. And I was a mediocre uh, club cricketer at a fairly low level. So just because two companies do the same things doesn't mean they get the same outcomes. Credit Corp's an extraordinarily well-run business. A collection house hasn't been a particularly successful business. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, earnings have been growing a little bit. Its return on equity is significantly lower than um, Credit Corp's. So it doesn't look bad. It's not as if I'm looking at this company and saying it looks that bad. But as I understood it, it's uh, at the moment stopped its dividends. And um, I may be wrong on that, but I think that's what I read. And uh, at the moment, it's uh, not sounding like it's doing terribly well. So in whichever industry you're in, you want to pick the best one and be in the best one in that industry, because that's probably the one that's the best managed. And um, in my opinion, looking at the numbers, that wouldn't be Collection House. Its return on equity is lower than Credit Corp. Its earnings growth is lower than Credit Corp. And it does seem to run into some problems recently. Okay. What do you reckon, Henry? Because they, they lost a chief executive. I think they've got top management changes. They're actually suspended at the moment. Right. They're um, at the behest of their uh, lenders, really. They've gone into a standstill agreement with their lenders. So there yeah. are significant problems with, uh, with uh, Collection House, and there always has been. And as, as Howard rightly points out, the management, although you know, the cricket bats are the same with uh, Credit Corp, the management of Collection House really hasn't been up to the, the, the task. And it has been a slide for a long time. And I, I'm not sure that this one is actually going to survive. As I say, it is suspended at the moment. They're talking to their lenders about recapitalization of the business. Whatever happens, equity holders are going to be heavily diluted, I would imagine. Hopefully it comes back. But out of the two businesses, Credit Corp has gone that way and, and yeah. Collection House yeah, has yeah. gone uh, to, to, you know, to virtually nothing. Um, Credit Corp's had a bit of a pullback, yeah. though, as well. Uh, would you be a, a buyer of Credit Corp uh, at the moment or did get down... I think to around six bucks last yeah. week, back to fourteen, but yeah. about half it's what it was at the peak. It's it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, these guys in theory should do well in a normal business environment because they buy debt ledgers off of people that are owed money and then then go and collect it. But the problem, I guess, comes with that collection when people are under pressure financially. Do you pay for food or do you pay for that old debt? Do you, uh, you know, do you start reneging on some of those problems? So that is the concern, I guess, that I have for it, is just um, trying to manage that process of getting those uh, debts paid for out of that ledger that they've got. Yeah. Maybe 
harder given the current circumstances yeah. we've got in the economy. So, so I think the market's grappling with that. And I think the answer is we, we really don't know because we don't know how this is all going to play out, how long it's going to be around for. But uh, so I'm a little bit circumspect at the moment yeah. about Credit Corp. Very well run company, former Glamour stock, as Howard says, it's always been very good. But for me, there's just a little bit of a yeah. question mark about how they manage those debts in an environment where people are struggling maybe to put food on the table uh, because of yeah. unemployment or, or whatever reasons. Okay. Howard, uh, I think you, you picked some, some up at, at the bottom around six bucks last month, didn't you? Would you be, be a buyer at these yeah, levels or not, wait for another pullback? Yeah, not quite at the bottom, but close. I got some at 6.50 and I've got some on the way down at 8.25. So uh, uh, I'd be very happy to buy if it gets to those sort of levels again. And to me, it's a screaming bargain at those levels. Um, Henry's quite correct. Their collections, of course, will not be as easy to collect at the moment. But if Collection House uh, is unable to buy new debtors' ledgers, it will also mean there's less uh, pressure on, on the prices they have to pay when they buy the debt ledgers. In the end, Collection House buys the debt ledgers, and the cheaper they can buy them, the better, and then collects off them. And with what's happening in Australia and the world at the moment, you'd assume they're going to be able to buy cheaper, and particularly if one of their competitors is uh, temporarily or permanently out of the market, they'll be able to buy cheaper. So even if their collections are a little tougher, um, being a well-run business and buying cheaper in the first place, they should do very well. So certainly I'd be very happy at uh, anything under $10 again to start buying it. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that there'll be some bad news uh, uh, or Donald Trump will cause some bad news or something will cause some bad news and that will give me the opportunity. Yep, all right, fingers crossed there, one to watch. Um, Henry, our, our third stock, about yep. 10 on the call today, which is supplied all by you. Thank you for doing that. Um, Aristocrat, the big gaming business, um, sort of the blue chip. Yeah. It's, I mean, Aristocrats, are, it's, it's kind of one of those stocks that falls into the ethical basket. Some people yes. will avoid it just on principle because of their association, obviously, with the pokies. What has been their saviour, I guess, at the moment, because with poker machines closed down, uh, not only here, but obviously in, in the US as well, has been the digital gaming side of things, which yep. accounts for around 40% of their earnings. Their, their gearing is not huge, and that digital gaming side, I think, is, is, is a really good growth avenue for them. And I think maybe this whole... Uh, crisis that we're going through is going to propel that uh, to become a much greater part of the business going forward. Around 20 bucks, they, can, they keep kind of trying to find a level around 20 bucks. But um, at the moment, I guess without a sort of a path to opening, and I, I saw the Las Vegas mayor yeah. talking about opening some of the casinos there, they're, they're, you know, that 60% of their earnings in terms of selling of poker machines and the revenue derived from those operations as well, um, that's kind of missing. But, you know, they've got a, a as I say, a pretty good balance sheet. Uh, they haven't had to raise any money as yet, um, but you've got to kind of get your head around the ethics of, of yeah. buying into a poker machine business. And some people don't like that, but uh, the digital gaming side, I think, offers a good growth avenue for them. Okay. Howard? Yes, uh, I think Henry's sort of described the business well. And from an ethical point of view, it's not a company our team invest members are ever comfortable looking at. And the way we look at it is we say, when you're putting your money into a business, what you're really saying is, I would like to be more of whatever it is that they do. So if you're putting your money into uh, Cochlear, 
you're saying, I would like there to be more people helped in their hearing. Uh, if you're putting your money into uh, a collection house or credit corp, um, you're saying, what I would like is that more people are taught to handle their money more effectively when they get into debt. And the problem uh, our members generally have with aristocrat, although its metrics all look pretty good, um, as Henry's pointed out, is they look at it and they say, would I really like to see more pokey machines and more online gambling? And seeing as uh, almost exclusively our members say no, um, whenever it comes up in a, a discussion we have in Team Invest, everybody says, forget it, pass. And I must say, I agree, I have exactly the same feeling. So uh, it could be a good investment. It's not one that Team Invest members are comfortable. Okay, uh, stripping Henry stripping out the the ethical part of it. Yeah. Uh, at twenty two dollars, I'd be more happy at twenty bucks. Right. I think that's kind of the level I'd look at it. But certainly, if you were holding them at the moment, I wouldn't be uh, panicking too much. Yeah. Um, it has got obviously a, a gearing aspect to coming out of uh, the coronavirus crisis in terms of uh, suddenly you get a, a, a sort of a big surge, I guess of hopefully not problem gamblers no. going out yeah, yeah. And, uh, and spending money in the poking machines. But there should be a, a big surge back uh, and that will help them. And I think, you know, the digital gaming side is not just about digital gambling. It's also about gaming uh, and the products they offer on their, uh, through, their through, through the company. So I yeah. think that's important to bear in mind that it's not just all about gambling. I think a few years ago, from memory, they lost a key player who was the really the big uh, the big sort of push into that, and it did stall their business a little bit, but I think they'll come back stronger because they will have to, uh, given the uh, the closure of okay. some of their other parts of the business. All right, so under 20 as an investment looks yeah. all right. Um, how would our fourth stock um, on the list today for the call? Helios, a, a medical sort of mm. imaging pathology business. It's had a, had a couple of nibbles from... Uh, a few raiders over over recent months. It seems to be pretty popular. Yes, it has. Um, it, it, it's you know medical centres, pathology, the kind of things you'd expect would be doing particularly well as our population ages, and the coronavirus probably would be of benefit to it in, in uh, as well. However, this is a company that over ten years has only once at a return on equity of more than 10%. In fact, its average return on equity over the last four years has been about 4%. Now, if a company can't generate more than four cents in every dollar that shareholders have in that business, then effectively, you can't in the long term get more out of it than four cents. The return on equity puts a cap on the return an investor can get. Now, not the one-year return on equity, but if you look at it over 10 years and a company has low return on equity, you can't get high returns as a shareholder. You may occasionally be able to trade it, but your returns are capped largely by the return on equity. So it's a company with moderate debt, so that's fine. Its earnings have been shrinking over the last few years um, compared to what they were several years earlier. Um, but worst of all is its return on equity is too low to uh, pass any of our filters in Team Invest. We would look at it and we'd say it makes too little money on every dollar of shareholder capital. Therefore, it's not a good investment. And that's quite correct in the long term. OK, Henry? Um, I think Howard's actually right. I mean, out of the three kind of ones that you put in with Helios in terms of uh, Ramsey and Sonic, 
Uh, Helios has really been the one that has struggled over the years, so much so, as you rightly say, there's had a couple of approaches uh, from overseas players in for the company. I think $3.20 was the last kind of bid around there. There is a hope they will sell some of their medical centres, uh, which they're in the uh, in discussions with at the moment. So that is potentially a positive for them. But out of out of the kind of the, the healthcare uh, sector, I'd say they're one of the least attractive uh, for my money. But there is this corporate appeal uh, sort of swirling around. And if they did a deal with the medical centres, that would help things along a little bit, free yeah. up a little bit of cash. But but generally, I prefer the Sonics and even the Ramses. Ramses is just doing a rights issue at the yeah. moment. I can't yeah. recap. A at the moment, one, a, big, a big one, yeah, yeah, yeah. $1.2 billion. Uh, so I'd prefer to go with those because I think they offer more leverage, whereas Helios, because it has been such, I, I hate to use the word dog, but it has been a bit of a dog over the years that it did yeah. attract some corporate vultures there looking to uh, try and reinvigorate the, uh, the company. Yep. All right, uh, <laughs> some really good comments there. Uh, when you, let's go to our fifth stock and Howard, you were talking about return on equity. Uh, this one, A2 Milk, hasn't done a bad job, has it? It's done a wonderful job. Now, it's <laughs> only got a short history. And one always has to be a little bit careful with companies with a short history. But certainly, it ticks all the right boxes in the short time. I mean, its return on equity last three years has been over 30%, in fact, over 35 which is outstanding. Its earnings are growing rapidly. Uh, it's making real profits, unlike when we looked at Life Tiles earlier, which also had a short history. This one makes real profits, and the real profits are growing. The earnings per share more than doubling every year, and it's got no debt. So uh, from all those points of view, it looks fabulous. Now, it's really got a fabulous brand with the A2 milk. Now, of course, around the world, there's more and more and more uh, A2 protein milk being developed by other bigger players, Nestle and others. Um, so its product is not going to be so unique, but having this brand name is absolutely wonderful. Um, team Invest members are a bit polarized on this. There's some that absolutely love it, and there are others that say this brand uh, is all that's protecting it. And as bigger players around the world produce a2 type milk, mm. even if they can't brand it mm. A2, that'll hurt them. And the history being short, they've stayed out of it. I don't personally own it, but if it had a longer history with these kind of numbers, I'd most definitely own it. Mm. Henry, what do you think? It, it is a great marketing organisation. doesn't actually produce any milk, does it? No, it contracts the milk from people yeah. like Sinlay um, and then rebrands it. And as Howard says and you say, it's a fantastic uh, marketing operation. It's done a, a, an amazing job. And the results they released the other day just mm. go to show the hoarding. Um, the same with the retail sales that we saw here yesterday. The hoarding that the Chinese have done to a certain extent yeah. with the infant formula as well. And what's really good for A2 Milk is their margin is still uh, pretty good, around 30%. Um, and they did sort of, they've had a, a kind of a hiccup every now and then where they've talked about having to reinvest in the business in terms of marketing. And that's what you have to do with brands. You have to keep reinvesting in it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's Coke or Pepsi. Yep. You know, it's the same sort of argument that everyone has their own view on which one's the best. But Coke is still, you know, the brand that people follow no matter what uh, the competition is doing. So these guys have done a great job with the branding. Uh, it's a very, very popular product in China. It's pushing into other markets as well. Uh, for us, it's still a buy. It's been very defensive. It's been one of the few stocks 
I guess, that hasn't uh, gone down at all. In fact, yeah, I think it's got gone no up. Pull, pull back at all. No, no pullback at all. So there may be, uh, I guess, depending on how this all plays out and who knows, but every now and then you see them pull back as people who have been in it for a defensive reason, uh, switch into something a little bit more aggressive if, if, if the coast clears. Yeah. But I think it's, you know, it's a quality stock grinding away um, that does a really good job with their marketing. Right. And I think it's got a, a good moat because of that. So, so we haven't missed a run up on I, A2, for example, if you compare that to Bubs, which is a different product, goat's diff- milk, but in that yeah. milk formula. Yeah. I mean, Bubs is pushing. Stage. Yeah, Bubs is pushing into uh, dairy as well now. I think you know yeah. they obviously started out with goat, but they have made some uh, acquisitions to try and broaden the appeal. I guess um, very different in terms of market cap, but again, yeah. it, it's it's about marketing, it's about branding, yeah. and I, I suspect you know A two milk. Is it a baby A two, which a lot of people are? I'm not so sure. There's right. been a lot of wannabes. Uh, there's been a lot of wannabe. A2s yeah. out there and we've seen them from uh, you know we saw Blackmores get into infant formula for a little yeah. while uh, we saw Bellamy's again another great marketing machine that seemed to go a little bit wrong right. um, and A2's yeah. had the odd hiccup along the way so there was a lot of wannabes and A2 just seems to continue to, to prove that they are you know the, the, the emperor of this space and I guess when you go in the supermarket and you see all the, the bottles of milk and the the, uh, the cartons there lined up, there's A2 very, very prominent, and that just reinforces that brand, whereas you know you don't see goat's milk from Bubs sitting there, and you don't that right. doesn't reinforce that branding. Yeah. So I, I, you know, for me, I think it's still a great story. Stick with A2. Yep. All right. Halfway through the call, the 10 stocks so far, um, live tiles, a no from Howard, Henry saying <laughs> a really specky buy, if you want to speak. Yeah. Uh, collection house, both no... Uh, aristocrat, no from Howard on ethical reasons for Henry, under 20 bucks for if you're purely focused on investment return, probably a better buy there. Helios, a bit of a dog. Um, and no from Howard on O2, although great business hasn't been going uh, long enough for, for uh, team invest filters, if you like. Um, but for Henry, still a good story ahead. So that's our first five, five down, five to go. And um, Howard, let's kick off with a construction and engineering business, which most people would shriek about in this current <laughs> environment. But when it's one of Delphus, it's, um, it's had a pretty good track record, best of breed in the area. Really, it's a, a sector decision, isn't it? Yes, uh, I mean, this is a best of breed uh, of the engineering procurement and construction. Uh, mineral resources is probably more innovative, but Monodelphus uh, has been an extraordinarily well-run business with uh, virtually no debt right through its history, um, good return on equity, and until the mining services boom ended, it had very rapidly growing earnings per share. Now, all mining booms turned to busts and all busts turned to booms. So what we do know is at some point in the future, um, and had it not been for the coronavirus, that point in the future was just about now, the big miners were needing to start to develop uh, new mines to replace the uh, production running out at some of the old mines. Now, that's probably been a bit delayed through the coronavirus. But if China keeps stimulating and Vale in Brazil keeps struggling, there's a good probability that uh, Monodelphus is going to pick up a lot of extra work. So um, well-run company, 
but there's no rush to get into it if you wanted to own it because it's likely that news will be bad for a while longer before it gets good. But it's a company that once um, enough stimulus is coming out of China or other parts of the world opening up, uh, I would expect it won't be terribly long and there'll be an increase in spending, in development spending by mining companies again, and Monodelphus will pick up a lot more work. The other thing, of course, is they do a lot of maintenance work and the huge amount of spending that there was in the last boom in both uh, oil and gas as well as iron ore mining has created enormous opportunities for them in maintenance. And they're also getting into water development and maintenance now as well. So um, great company, but uh, the world hasn't been kind to it over the last few mm -hmm. years. But uh, as I say, all mining busts turn to booms later and all booms turn to busts. Yep. I think, uh, I mean, Howard's absolutely right. I mean, I think patience is required with this one. It is the best of breed. They're heavily embedded with BHP and Rio and have been for many, many years. So the fact that iron ore has stayed one of the strongest commodities throughout all of this um, is, quite, uh, is quite good for, for Monodelphus. Of course, the flip side is that BHP, Rio and a lot of comp mining companies have pulled back on their capex because mm. of the uncertainties surrounding coronavirus implications. Monodelphus did the same in terms of pulling their revenue guidance, which was for around 10% growth. Um, so there's really kind of, we don't have much to go on at the moment. But over time, depending on how long this goes on for, as, as, as mining capacity reduces, in theory, you should see prices of, of the com underlying commodities start to increase as production comes out. And therefore, you, companies will then start to look to reinvest and try and right. get projects going. And we've even seen it with uranium. It's had a, a massive spike recently because of production issues. Um, so I think Monodelphus, yes, long term, as Howard says, though, I don't think there's a big rush at the moment. This is going to play out over yeah. quite a long period of time. They're, they're long lead assets, and, and the decisions that BHP and the Rios of this world make in terms of capital expenditure and pulling that back um, don't get reversed in a day. They don't suddenly yeah. go, oh, you know what, let's do it. it it's going to take a while to get back on yeah. track. So. Sort of the wrong time in the cycle. Wrong time in the cycle. I think you just got <laughs> The cycle will change. The cycle, the cycle will change. But yeah, but you know, the, the, the good thing is that at least iron ore has been the, the one commodity out of everything. When you see the shenanigans mm. in oil, uh, iron ore has been the one commodity that's really held up remarkably well. And people have yep. gone, you know, they're scratching their heads really as why iron ore has held up. And Monodelphus does a lot of work for BHP and the maintenance is, is very yep. important for them as well. Certainly, uh, Josh Frydenberg is... Uh, Delighted the iron ore price is staying well above the, uh, the budget does, assumptions. It does help. He, need, he needs every dollar he can he get does, at the moment. All right. Um, so Monodelphus, uh, great stock, um, sort of the, the leader in the sector, but cycle just not right for it. Um, our seventh stock to look at today, uh, Southern Cross Media. Uh, Henry, National Radio, Regional Television, just got a, a big raise away at, uh, what was it, nine, nine cents nine or something? Nine cents, yes. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of a rescue package almost. This, yep. is, this is, you know, as, as Howard says, there's a time to be raising capital. Uh, for the likes of Ramsey, it was around 80 bucks. But for Southern Cross, it's been a, a question of no choice, really, to raise this cash at uh, nine cents. It's only got a market cap now of around 260 million bucks. Clearly, TB is, is struggling, and they, they pointed that out when they raised the money. That is a challenging environment, as they say. Although there's more eyeballs coming to watch uh, the updates and, and, and various things, uh, clearly there's a challenge there with the advertising revenue yeah. coming in. Same, same with radio. So it is, this is falling into the speculative basket very much so. Uh, you know, nine cents, that's a, 
I think they're 11 or 12 now. Yeah. Um, but uh, this really is a punt that they will survive. Uh, certainly the government's done some, gone some way to helping regional players survive. But its fortunes are a bit tied to seven, I guess, in, in some respects yeah. in the regional TV side. So it's it's a punt. Yeah. You know, if you think things are going to pick up and, and we get the uh, the back of coronavirus and things return to some sort of normality, yeah. then this one could be a, a good punt at these kind of levels. And it may be that the fact they had to raise money at nine cents has been a, a unique opportunity. Yeah. Uh, Howard, what's your view? Problem with uh, with media stocks at night, their revenue model is just based around advertising revenue, isn't it? Yeah, and in fact, uh, uh, it, 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 running a company like this must sort of give people the feeling that they're trying to swim up a fast-flowing river going the other way. Um, you know, as, as no matter how hard you paddle or swim, you seem to be going backwards. And it reminds me from that point of view, so I pretty much agree with everything Henry said, um, it reminds me of supermarkets, uh, no, sorry, not supermarkets, department stores. <laughs> For the last 10 years, it's been pretty obvious that the department store model was coming to an end. Um, the reason department stores started uh, was to get people out the rain and the weather and they could do all their shopping in one place. But then you got uh, um, uh, big shopping centers that replaced the need for department stores. And the problem with Southern Cross Media being reliant on advertising is the advertising's moved. It's gone elsewhere. So you could really only look at this as a trading punt and team investment. And on that basis, it looks pretty cheap. But team invest members are long-term investors and uh, they wouldn't uh, possibly be interested in a company that's got everything against it the way this one does. Yeah. Um, and also, a lot of those media groups needed to just change their model, didn't they? Yep. And sort of get in early to streaming or whatever. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really sure what the new model is, apart from just having endless episodes of Tiger King going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our uh, eighth stock, um, Howard, is Nickel Mines, a producer of, what, Nickel Pig Iron? How do you see Nickel Mines? Yeah, I mean, this is totally speculative. It's only been listed for a very short period on the stock exchange. It owns shares or owns part of or almost all of nickel mines in Indonesia. Um, Indonesia is probably going to be very badly hammered with this coronavirus. But even putting that aside, um, my, speculative mining stocks, uh, only about one in 40 of them ever return sufficient capital that their shareholders got back at least what they put in. So it's it's probably roughly the equivalent of going down to your local casino and putting your money on one number on a roulette wheel. The odds are approximately equivalent. Now, you may get it right and you put it on the right number on the roulette wheel and you walk out of the casino with a big smile on your face, but um, you don't go to a casino to invest. And um, you don't go into speculative mining stocks to invest. They are pure gambles. Uh, this one hasn't made a profit in the last six months. Um, I struggle to see that uh, this a good, uh, in any way could be considered investment grade. If you want to invest in a mining company, look for one of those that's proven been profitable over many years. Mm. Henry? Um, well, I think you know it does what it says on the box. It's nickel mine in uh, nickel miner in uh, Indonesia, and it is highly speculative, let's face it. Yeah. It has done okay since it listed uh, a couple of years ago. They have got a joint uh, venture partnership with a big Chinese group, which does give them some stability, and certainly they do seem to be on the right track. But you are 
if you want to play nickel, it's a pure nickel play. Um, and there are people out there that look for exposure to nickel for whatever reason. Um, and Western Areas is another one which has a big short position as well. That's another pure nickel play. So I guess it, it, it's a kind of an re- economic global recovery stock, a bit like Dr. Copper. If we see uh, a resurgence in the economy as, as we hopefully get through the coronavirus crisis, then maybe we'll see a bit of resurgence in commodity prices and nickel being one of those key commodities we'll see a bit of an uptick there and this could be one there but it, it, it's pure speculation it is a yep. you know one of the myriad of australian uh, specy miners out there that uh, right. are doing life-changing deals and directors are, are, are pumping it up and, and saying yeah. all, the, all the right things every now and then and raising money every other is year. it is it one of those classic examples that hey there, there are a lot better alternatives to invest your money in a market like this. Yes, I think right. is, the, is the answer. Especially, I've always, Indonesia is a, is a tricky place. They tend to change yeah. the rules. Um, and that's <laughs> not never, as bad as PNG. Not as bad, not as bad as PNG. But, but close. But, but close. <laughs> but, so, but changing the rules, sovereign risk for a miner. Mm. Um, right. Because you can't up sticks and just say, okay, we're going to take our bat and ball and go somewhere else and be domiciled there. Yeah. and not run our operations there, you're stuck with what you've got. So there is that risk. And we've seen it with, with Thailand, with Kingsgate. Yeah. Uh, they changed the rules dramatically there. We've seen it with Indonesia a number of times. Uh, so there are so many better stocks, I think, in, in easier jurisdictions uh, to play in yeah. in that speculative market. But it is a pure nickel play. And, I, and every now and then nickel has a run. And yeah. I'll get an email from a subscriber saying, oh, give me three nickel stocks that I should be buying on Western areas and nickel mines. Um, right. And there's a couple of others out there as well. So they, they, they have their day, and you can see that by the chart. So they don't, they don't at least they're, they're true to the brand, aren't they? They and do what they, they say on the box. They don't, they don't try and be anything no, else. No, they, okay. that's, it's nickel, pure and simple. Okay. Uh, Howard, uh, our ninth investment, um, uh, Australian Ethical Investments, of course, um, Ethical Funds Management Manager. What do you think of them? Yes, uh, they manage a very large number of funds. So uh, um, the whole variety of uh, what are called ethical investment funds, small cap funds, large cap funds, all sorts of funds. Um, Like all fund managers, they've got high return on equity because you don't need much capital to be a fund manager. Um, So we'd expect high return on equity. They've got no debt. And like all fund managers, we'd expect them to have no debt. Uh, And their earnings have been growing very well. So on all the three main metrics, um, they look very good indeed. Um, The one thing that would uh, cause all of us to, uh, in Team Invest, to be uncomfortable with it is that their PE ratio is at about nearly 50. And, um, you know, you can buy into other fund managers on a PE ratio much lower than Australian Mm -hmm. ethical investments. Uh, So why would you want to buy at a time when markets are having problems around the world and therefore their earnings are probably going to go down rather than up in the short term. Maybe in the long term they'll go back up, but in the short term they're going to go down. Why would you buy uh, a company that's likely to report lower earnings soon uh, at a PE ratio of about 50? So, uh, uh, you know, uh, from from our point of view, very well-run business, but ridiculously high PE ratio. That The, the share price would have to come down from the sort of $3.50 range to more like, $2.50 before uh, Team Invest members would give it a second look. Yeah, Henry? Wait a week, Howard. <laughs> um, this, I've got to say, this is one that I've liked, and, and as Howard says, it's expensive, um, and it is also quite volatile as well. But the clue to this one 
is the ethical bit in the title. Yeah. And it is all about, for some fund managers, it's all about marketing and being that unique selling point, having a unique branding. And, and these guys have got that. They've got about 3.6 billion <laughs> under management, so it, it's, it's not huge. It is quite volatile. They have double kind of leverage, I guess, to the market because as the market goes up, that funds under management grows. So if the market goes up by 10%, in theory, if they did nothing, they just had all their money invested in sort of in, in index products, it would go up by 10%. So that, yeah. that's good for them in terms of profits. It's also good for them in terms of if they can beat the indexes and beat those benchmarks as well. So that does increase their profits. So it's kind of got double leverage, I guess, the markets. That's why they're really so... I guess, volatile. And you look at them for a fund manager, which shouldn't be that volatile, maybe they have been. Um, I like it because of the ethical nature of it, it's, right. it and it's unique. There's not many out there with their kind of track record. And that, of course, is attracting a lot more interest, especially from, from younger investors in terms of ethical investing. So that is good. But they are expensive. Yep. They're not cheap. And uh, I was writing them up at um, $2.50, $2.60 as a buy for, for a market rally. And then they just took off like a scolded right. cat and went to the moon again. So, um, so not now? Not now. Right. Um, keep an eye on them. And it's yeah. also good to compare them when you look at someone like Magellan with $100 billion under management or Platinum or Pendle or all these other guys to try and work out a comparison um, again, they're all jostling for money yeah. and they're all in the same So how do, how do they stack up? Uh, I think the last time I was at Australian Ethical was still kind of expensive. Right. Uh, Magellan's expensive as well uh, because they've got the cult of Hamish yeah. um, and, they're, and they're very good at marketing. And, and the same goes for when you look at uh, LICs. You know, some yeah. trade at a premium, some trade at a big discount. A lot of that's got to do with transparency. A lot of it's got to do with marketing, track record of the management, etc. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you can't fathom why people are paying a dollar twenty for a dollar's worth of assets um, in the market, as opposed to paying sixty cents for a dollar's worth of assets. So I like AEF. I think it's a good quality stock with a unique selling point. Yeah. But it is expensive, You're especially. How Howard said. It'd be interested at two dollars fifty. Yeah. You, you were then. And I, I, well, again. I was then for the rally and, and, and told people to buy it, and uh, I hope somebody people did. Yeah. So yeah, those kind of prices, you got to buy those when they when they look really um, yeah. terrible. When the market's tanking, they tend to get double tanked, yeah. and when the market's going up higher, they tend to get that leverage effect as yeah. well. Uh, Howard, do you have any of the other fund managers on your radar instead of? Australian ethical that are, um, that are better valued? Yeah, a lot of our members and team invest are very enthused about Magellan and own it. I've never actually owned any of the fund managers. I sort of think of myself as running my own fund, so do I need a fund manager as well in my portfolio? But that's just a personal view. Yeah. Um, many team invest members own Magellan. Magellan's on a PE ratio of about half what um, AEF is on. So on that basis, it's considerably cheaper. You're buying a dollar worth of assets a lot cheaper than you are in the case of AEF. But as Henry says, when AEF at one stage was at uh, $2.50, um, that was a very different story. Yep, okay. All right, so uh, not at this price for Australian ethical investments. And our final stock of the 10, that it is probably a stock that polarises <laughs> half of the Australian share market. It uh, came out with good guidance yesterday. Its share price took another run yesterday and sort of uh, led the market. But uh, Howard, what do you think of Wise Tech Global? 
Well, interestingly, I'm not surprised they came up with an announcement yesterday because the share price had dropped about 15% the day before. So they came out with a, a very positive announcement and the share price rose again. Um, it's got its return on equity is not exciting. It's 7.1%. It's over the four years that it's been listed, it's averaged about 10%, which is okay, but certainly not exciting. Uh, but its earnings have been growing very rapidly. Um, it's got no debt, uh, mainly because it's raised capital uh, to, to make acquisitions. Um, it's got too little history for us to be comfortable with it. And I did notice in the announcement that they made yesterday that they very pointedly referred to results up till the end of March, which is fair enough after all, we're, we haven't got to the end of April yet, but they didn't really mention much about what they thought could happen in the next quarter. And um, if we're having a move against globalization, which I think is that the most terrible thing uh, uh, that we're moving against it, it's made products and services cheaper for everybody around the world, raised hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. But we've got a president of the United States and others in other countries that believe globalism is bad. Um, he, he's, he's back on this old discredited nonsense story that immigration eats up jobs that locals could have when all the evidence that's been collected uh, for a uh, hundred years shows that economies grow faster when they take in more people. There are only three sources of economic growth. They all start with a P. It's population, productivity, and uh, participation. So if you cut one of them off by saying we're not going to increase our population through immigration, you've, you're trying to uh, sit on a three-leg chair with one leg missing um, in terms of economic growth. But with all of that happening, why is tech very exposed to international trade? Um, and if globalization goes into reverse, um, that won't be good for them. But the biggest thing is, I mean, its figures look pretty good other than the return on equity is not exciting. But Team Invest members aren't comfortable with it because the short history, um, more than for any of the uh, accusations that have been made against it, which uh, is, it may well just be noise. Uh, so we've never looked at it in any great depth because it doesn't have enough history for us. Henry, what do you think? It's uh, basically it's in in global transport logistics, isn't it? It is. It's the smart. I think Cargo uh, Cargo One is their major product and yeah. software. I guess. I mean, Howard's right. It hasn't been going for very long, um, and it does polarise the market. I mean, there, there's oh, no. certainly optimists and pessimists about this one. Yeah. And it, it was riding high at nearly thirty nine bucks, and there was kind of a cult around it. Um, has raised money. Uh, it did get attacked by a short seller coming out of uh, China or Hong Kong. Uh, J Capital from memory pointing out lots of deficiencies. Uh, they then had a battle very publicly about uh, yep. the accounts and the way they manage things. Um, there was a big shareholder the other day that sold down, as, as Howard rightly pointed out. The other day they were down 15% as one of their big shareholders put through a big line, 9 million shares at 14.39 from memory. And um, then they came out yesterday with a, with a good update. Having said that, the, the, the spread in the, in the kind of guidance was quite large. Right. Um, so there's, there's obviously a lot of room for error. Maybe they're benefiting from the Amazon of the world in, in some respects. All these packages flying about the place, going from one country to another, being delivered, etc. Maybe yeah. that's helping them. Um, but I'm not 
100% confidence yet in why I think that that whole question mark because of the uh, the short selling attack still is kind of nagging at the back of my yeah. mind uh, the fact that one of their big shareholders got out that's nagging at the back of my mind it's it's just yeah yeah being attacked by a short seller is one thing because yep. they they're in it for yep. their own gain aren't they, they? Are. and they uh, are. and to push their own back but when a big shareholder starts to lighten up that that combination yeah. would be a bit nagging. It, it is, but we, we're living in extraordinary times at the moment. You, yeah. you don't really know the motivations behind That's that big point. shareholder. It could be completely irrelevant to, yep. to the actual business of Y State. It could just be because they have liquidity they, issues, they redemptions, liquidity, yeah. uh, or they've got better opportunities elsewhere. So I, I, I'm not sure we should read too much into that, but they were selling before... Uh, this sort of crisis hit as well. They've been reducing their holding gradually yep. and then finally were out the other day. So I don't know whether there's smoke, there's fire applies to this one, but it, as you say, it, it's like afterpay. It polarises the market. <laughs> Usually people that missed it yep. hate it, hate it forever. <laughs> yep. uh, and those that got on board early love the thing to death and will yep. never hear any bad against it and will stay with it. For it, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's like love lost. It's a, it is just a reminder that... Um, Investing is all about psychology of markets, isn't it? Is, it? it um, is. Not just the numbers. Jade, Howard Coleman from Team Invest, always great to catch up. Henry Jennings from Marcus today, good to have you in here at our Brangaroo studios of Ausbiz. And uh, just a bit of a recap on our, our final five stocks coming through Southern Cross, a no. Um, Nickel Minerals, no. Australian Ethical Investments may be down around 250 too expensive at the moment. Uh, WiseTech, a no as well. And I think we had Monodelphus in there as well. Good company, well run, but cycle really working against it. The commodity and, uh, uh, and resource cycle working against it. So that's our 10 stocks for today. Hopefully you enjoyed the call for this Thursday afternoon. If you'd like to suggest any stocks that we cover in um, any other upcoming panels, you can email them through the call at ausbiz.com.au or via Twitter, AusbizTV. And also... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.